Father, this morning we thank you so much for the great gift of your son. And on Father's Day, it's even more palpable to us how much you loved your son and how much you loved us, that you would be willing to send him for us in our brokenness, in our wickedness. You sent your son so that we might have life. You paid it all. God, we thank you for that. And Jesus, we thank you for your, your faithfulness to us in every move that we make. Lord, we love you. We thank you everything we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, happy Father's Day to you. And, um, you know, as we, uh, as we talk about stuff today, I had an interesting conversation with some students this morning in Sunday school about Legos. Which was, um, which was interesting considering what I'm looking at today. But when I was a kid, I loved to build things. And Legos was one of them. We had like a big table with like the green flat. You know what I'm talking about. This is when Legos were Legos, by the way. Okay, I'm looking at kids. I'm sorry. Legos have been corrupted by the world. Um, you know, they, um, they used to be like a big basket full of weird colors. And nothing you built looked real. And um, unless you lived in like Whoville or something, but um, you know we would we would have this big table and it had the green the green Legos on it, everything the green Lego like base, and then you would um, you would get Legos and you start making the foundation for things you know and you get like a, a corner going and then you put a window in it, and then somewhere you know you would have one of those Lego guys that was missing the top of him so there was just like little bottom end of a guy sticking somewhere out of the middle of a building or something, which is awesome. That's when Legos were real. But I love building things, and I'm one of those guys that um, I have lots of tools and not enough time to use them, and um, I just want more of them all the time, so if you've got any extras, I'll take them. But um, that's, I'm not lying. I, look at, I, I go to pawn shops regularly just to look for tools, you know, and um, so, but I love to build things. When I was a kid, um, how many of y'all ever built a fort? This is, this is, amazingly enough, this is one of those things that crosses gender lines. Girls build forts, I guess probably to keep the boys away, because um, they're icky and have cooties, um, but um, guys build forts because I don't, I don't know why, because we need somewhere to hang out where girls aren't. I don't know. But um, so we, we built forts and stuff, and uh, this is not going to be tall as I wanted it to be. But, you know, we built stuff, though, to, to protect our club. I mean, you all had a club. I had a club. We were the Broncos. We had little flags that we hooked to the back of our bikes when we rode around the neighborhood. I'm not joking. This is serious. Like, my, my best friend's dad could draw a horse like nothing else. And um, so one of our neighbors, he, uh, he had a tree house, and we tore it down for him when he moved. And uh, he let us have all the wood in it. So we built this, like, this clubhouse fort, if you want to call it. And um, as, we, uh, as we built this thing, it was awesome, you know, but we, we had it. and um, Yeah, that's right. 
I don't want this to fall on me. We had it, and we had this fort, but, you know, it turned into, like, basically where the dog slept most of the time, which meant it was full of fleas and, like, disgustiness and um, dead birds and things like that. But, um, but it was our fort, and it's where we lived kind of in the, in the wintertime. The summer is kind of hot, but um, we would build this thing, and we'd add to it and put more stuff in it. It was pretty awesome, but... We like to build things. All of us do. Looks kind of like one of those like castle turrets, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. But so we like to build things all the time. The world tells us to build a lot of things. Wants us to build things. And um we most of the time we listen. Now what we listen to can become pretty interesting. This didn't quite work like I wanted here. Let me see. See these holes right here? This is so you can shoot arrows. So I'm, I'm serious. So, so we build forts, we build walls, we build encampments. But the world wants us to fill them and build them with certain things. We're going to label some of them for you today. Status. It's a big one in our world today. Where do you stand? Who who looks up to you? Do you have the right toys? This is one of those things that um, that none of us like, but we hold on to because it can be a great defense, and that's our pain. And that could come from all different types of things in our world today. Could be um, abuse. Could come from uh, broken relationships with other people. But our pain is a very powerful thing in our lives. As is regret. Because regrets are one of those things that we, um, we hold on to because we don't want to feel pain, but it, but it drives us. It takes us to somewhere else in our lives. We, we push ourselves to try to get there. And when we push ourselves, we step on people's toes. And people step on ours, and so we hold unforgiveness against them. And all these things are adding up. Now, there's some good things in life, too, that we build walls with for defense of our of our fort and our dog, our friends, good ones, bad ones, we hold on to them no matter what. We do what they say, we look like them, we talk like them. Much like status, your image, how you look to other people around you, Status may be a little bit more economic in some ways, but your image can hold all different types of things. For me growing up, that club that I had, I was the, the lowest rung in that club of all three. Okay, I had lots of friends. But the other two were brother and sister. One of them was super athletic. The other one, valedictorian of her class when she graduated from a very prestigious private school. And 
I was the fat kid. And it's, it's true, you know. I, I have a friend back home that I joke with, and I, I say I had fat kid syndrome is what I call it because I weighed 160 pounds in the fifth grade, and I was not very tall. And it changed the way that I, I um, interacted with people. And my body image, it's not just a, a female thing to have body image issues. I had body image issues as a kid. And it changed the way that I interacted with people around me. But our image, it changes the way that we see ourselves. It changes the way we interact with people. Our careers. Now, young people in the room... You're used to hearing me talk sometimes, and you have a career. You go to work 40 hours a week, just like any adult in this room. You just work at studies, okay? Your career can become everything to you. You can hold on to it, and you can, you can do the best that you possibly can do, and we should do the best that we possibly do for the people that we work for. But it can be a really weak brick in your wall, too, because... You don't always control your own destiny when it comes to your career. I had a really great job that I loved at one point in time. And I came in on a Monday morning, and I had a good job. And by lunch, I was laid off. It happens. It's the reality of where it is. Even if you own your own company, you may come in at lunch one day, and your best customer closes down, and you don't have a way to, to, to hold up your company anymore. That happened to my dad. So... That creates a fear sometimes in our lives. Not just our career, but what are our children going to be like? What am I going to be like? How am I going to sustain this? How am I going to be alive? How am I going to keep this from from falling apart? We become afraid of everything in our lives sometimes. And then we feel bad about it. We carry guilt around with us for things that we've done in the past and things that we, we don't know how to control and, and habits in our lives, which I think that one's coming up here soon. We might as well go ahead and bring it up. The habits that we have in our lives. And folks, these, these could be good things. You could have good habits in your life that steal every bit of time from your family. Might be a healthy thing for you. Might be exercise. Could be um, playing golf. Could be listening to music. Could be any of those types of habits that you have in your life. But if they pull away from the people around you, it can hurt. Folks, we live in a very affluent area. And our church is full of very affluent people for the most part, so privilege can become a part of a wall in our lives. A wall that keeps us away from other people, keeps us in our communities and not in other communities. I have family members who can get, not get past grief in their lives and the pain that comes with it. I have a high school senior living in my house. She's sitting right there. 
This word is a scary word, right? Yeah. How many, how many people in this room, this word, the future, is a scary word for you, whether you're a high school senior or not? This word can take us into things that we don't need to be a part of. It can lead us down a path. It comes with another word that I don't have called worry a lot of times. Money. Do I need to say anything about money? The love of it. Remember, the love of it is the root of all evil. Try to see what blocks I have left here. Anxiety. Sometimes this comes about the future. But I kind of feel like our, our whole culture makes us feel anxious all the time. Like we've got to have it right now. Like if I don't have it right now, I mean, I, I can't remember. I was talking with somebody not long ago about microwaves and what it was like to live in a microwave. I guess it was VBS we were talking about this, you know, that God gives us patience. I was waiting for the gracias because all the people that were in, yeah, so... Yeah, in BBS you say these statements and then they say some word after you. So we said God gives you patience and everybody, all the kids go, gracias. Which is probably not the, the thing that we normally ask God for and then say thank you is patience. Because if you ask for patience, you may want to be careful because you'll have positions to be patient for. But anxiety becomes something that is so real in our culture right now. And it's kind of understandable when you start looking at some of these things here, but... All of these things play into our pride. And our personal power. There are a whole lot more words that I could stick up on here. And I don't know how uncomfortable you feel, but I felt, I got about halfway through these and I'm thinking, I probably should just leave it alone and not put any more up there because I feel uncomfortable like this is taking too long. And in that moment is the one that I, I feel like is probably the one we needed to hear the most. But we build walls around us all the time in our lives, and our culture and our world around us gives us all these types of things that we have to deal with. And then they ask us to get up behind these things and have the acorn battle of life. Did you all ever have one of those when you were a kid? Lots of them probably. And you stand behind this thing and you're chucking out acorns and then when the other person comes, you, you duck down behind it. And all of this is supposed to protect you. Your pride, your ambition, your fear, your planning, your future, all these different things are all coming in there and they're, they're there to protect us and to keep us together. And... And none of them are the way that God wants to define who we are or how he wants us to live our life. Now, there's a piece of scripture 
It's found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it says this, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And see, I don't think that God is interested in defining you by these things here. Nor is he interested in having you fortify your life against other things. I think God's a little bit interested in something else other than a wall. And walls keep others out. They keep you in. They block you from people around you. They block you from God. But at some level, there's something that has taken place. Sorry, I want to make sure I build this right here. All throughout history, that is different than a wall, but still made with similar materials. It's something called an altar. And in Scripture, the first one that we find is found in Genesis, and it's it's made by by Noah. And in those moments, when he gets off the ark, he stops and he looks at everything that's happened. And he, he built something. Because remember, we like to build things, right? So he takes some stones and he starts stacking them together. Sorry. Building stuff is hard, right? And one by one starts putting these stones into place. And I, I wonder sometimes, you know, what, what they were thinking because the altars are, are different than walls because they're meant for people to come to to do one of two things, either to remember or to sacrifice. So as God calls us to be a living sacrifice, start to wonder, what does that look like? Because altars, when you sacrifice on an altar, they would come and they would take an animal. And what they would do is, they would, it wasn't just any animal, it was normally something that was really important to them. Maybe a, uh, a sheep or a ram or a goat or something like that. Sometimes a bird. They would bring it to an altar. Before, I mean, the biggest thing to think about is that before they would actually sacrifice on this altar, they would take that animal and place their hands on it. They would ask God for the thing that they needed in their life. Or they would come to remember God and to give him praise for something that he had already given to them. And so they would come to this altar
with something important to them, something that would cost them. They would lay it down, put their hands on it, and ask God to to recognize their heart by what they brought. An altar was square. It had very specific directions. These are nowhere near close, but it was square, and in the middle of it, they would have a fire. And the edges of it are called the horns because they were taller and they would lift out and they were connected to the top of it and they represented the power that resided in this place. And so they would come with this important thing to remember, like Noah did, how God had saved humanity and spared them. And they would place it in this place and the priest would sacrifice it. And the, the life force that was in it, the blood of that animal, would become the offering given for their memory or for their sin. And this is a, a sacred moment and a sacred place. Now, throughout church history, there's an idea and you see it in churches in the way that they're built, is that there's a separation between what the, they call the sacred and the profane. All right? And profane is not meant in the same way as profanity. The word sacred means to be, to be separated, to be sanctified, to be, to be given special place or special honor. And in that sacred place, normally we, we have a communion rail or a front area like this. And behind it is kind of meant to be an area that is considered holy. Not that, you know, any of these guys that play up there are particularly holy more than anybody else, and Nick's shaking his head. You know, please do not put that on them, okay? They're humans. Um, I'm human. Please help, help. Don't put that on me. But in this place, in what was, what's in front of that altar rail is considered the, uh, the profane, which it comes from two Latin words would mean, to mean outside, and, and phantom, which is to be outside of the sacred. And so at the, at the moment, at that rail, at the altar, there's a collision that takes place between what is sacred and what is not. And just like the fire that would burn an animal there, nothing comes to an altar without being changed. So this morning, I want us to remember one more altar that was made, and that was Jesus himself. And I, I, love, I love looking over here right now, just at this cross, because the cross became a different type of altar for us. And we just sang about it just a minute ago, that Jesus came and he paid it all, and all to him that we owe. That blood that was, that was sprinkled in that place allowed us to live, allowed us to have forgiveness, allowed us to access God once again. It broke the plane between the profane and the sacred. It gave us the ability to reach into God. And it, it's a beautiful story, too, when you look at the temple and what happens when Jesus is 
death happens and this veil that's in the temple, this, this thing that's been separating the holy of holies from everything else, from the top to the bottom, rips open. And God looks, basically looks humanity in the eyes and says, here I am. Arms open. And he really willingly made an altar of his own, but that different type of altar. And then they placed him in a tomb, which sounds so much like the stones that an altar is made of. And they locked him in there. But unlike any other sacrifice, he came out of the tomb. And what's, what's, what's crazy about this and what we look at, go back at that piece of scripture and look at it, and that God is asking us to be a living sacrifice is that we're, he's asking us to be like Christ. He has sacrificed himself. He has died. He has shed his blood. He has been laid to rest. But in his power, he has come out of that tomb and given us the ability to have life. So his blood has forgiven us, but his resurrection has given us eternity and to life. And that means that when we come to this, no longer do we have to bring an animal. No longer do we have to bring something a sacrifice of anything. Instead, we bring ourselves. And not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Monday morning at work. When that person that sits in the cube next to you is about to make you go through the wall and tear their ears off. And just, I don't know why that came out of my head, but that's just the first thing that popped in my head. It just, I'm going to lose it. We crawl up on an altar and we allow God to take over who we are in those moments. Jesus said this things, these two things, John 10, 10. The thief, he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I think that is the heartbeat of God for each and every one of us in this room this morning, that he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And this world around us and the enemy that informs it has put all of these things in our lives among many others. But Jesus has come to say that, that that doesn't have to define who you are. But he also says this in Matthew 10, 39. He said, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. So this morning, we have an opportunity to take these things that are in our lives to gather them up you know I wonder sometimes illustrations sometimes are are too simplistic and there's no way to gather up anxiety like pulling it off of a brick. However, recognizing it and knowing what it is and picking it up and laying it on an altar and allowing God to do something with it rather than holding on to it, I feel like is the heartbeat that God has for you this morning.
Now, I wrote these things down. I feel like God just wants you to hear them. It says, in these moments, we can find ourselves at a precipice, which is interesting that I'm standing on the edge of the stage. But, and we're going to step out and tear down a wall. Or we will, will we continue to build it higher? Because we can tear down walls and build an altar to God with the remnants of them. And when we build that altar, we remember the things he's done for us. And we set aside the things of this world so that we can become a living sacrifice. Something that is in the moment dying and in the moment living. So that God can have glory in all of it. So this morning, we're going to actually offer you an opportunity to come to an altar. And it's, um, it's not an altar like this, even though this will be here, because I'm definitely not moving it in the next few moments. But it's a place. It's a precipice. It's a plane between the sacred and the profane in your life. It's an opportunity for you to, to look at some of these things that may have been around on these bricks and to replace them with some other things. Things like grace. Things like hope. Love. Faith. Folks, this is not Kool-Aid. It's not drinking the Kool-Aid to come to an altar. It's living water. You might be sitting there and you're saying, if I go to an altar, I'm just following a crowd. And it's not that. Hopefully, the crowd that you would follow up there is pursuing God the same way that you would. And it's not self-seeking to come to an altar because you have pain or because you have guilt or you have struggles or you have syndromes from when you were a child trying to make it each and every day, trying to feel whole, trying to feel complete, trying not to be scared to get out of bed in the morning, trying not to feel guilty for your past trying to live up and go past the things that you might have done, not worrying about a future because you have faith in a God who loves you, trusting that when you stand at a precipice and you can jump off of this place that God is the same every day. And what's amazing about altars is that from the time that Noah built the first one, they've been built all throughout history. We have one sitting over there that we pull out for certain times. We have one in, in the other sanctuary that we pull out for other times. There are altars built on sites all throughout the Holy Lands to remember God. But people like Abraham, they would build an altar 
my prayer for you this morning is that these things, when God asks you to lay these things on an altar, that you wouldn't own them like your son and say, these are mine. Because Abraham had that opportunity with his son when God asked him to lay that on an altar. And he said, okay, I trust you. But you will provide. But folks, we can own this like it's our very own child. And never let it go and live and behind a fortified wall that keeps you from the presence of God, that keeps you from the presence of your friends and your family and the people that you love. All of these things are not what God's desire for you is. His desire is for you to have life and have it to the full. So I asked a few people um, to be available to pray with you this morning. We're getting ready to sing a song that we haven't sung here before. I want to give you some of the words because... I want you to hear them before you sing them. It says, are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. So today as you sing, I ask you to come. Become if you need to be here to to let something die. Come if you need to come just to remember the good things that God has done for you and to celebrate that. There is no reason to wait and there is no reason to see an altar as something, anything less than where you and God can collide in a beautiful place. Those have asked to pray, if you guys would just be prepared, I'm, I'll just give you some instruction because I understand that sometimes coming to an altar is maybe your first time that you ever stood up and walked forward in the church, and that's perfectly fine. And so I'm just going to ask if, if you, if this is a, a leap for you and you don't, you really just want to spend time with God and just God, you and God alone, for those moments, I want to add, for those folks, just ask you to come to this side of the altar. And if you, if you want somebody to pray with you, because sometimes we need help at that moment. We need help at that precipice. We need help in those moments for people to speak to us. And I'm going to ask those folks that I've asked to be ready to pray to be on this side over here. And then that way, um, folks can, can connect with God whichever way works best for them at the moment, okay? Let's pray. Father, this morning, there is absolutely nothing special about a bunch of cinder blocks, blocks on, on a stage. God, there is something special about the kingdom of God and how it invades our world. God, there is a war at at work. There's a war at hand for our very lives. 
And there is a real enemy that is out to steal and to kill and to destroy who we are. But you have come that we might have life and have it to the full. And God, life behind a wall, life hiding in a fortified clubhouse that has no real protection for us is not the life that you intended for us. A full life, full of your grace, full of your love, full of your mercy. A life that explodes with those same things when we leave this place so that other people see it and hear it and feel it. God, break our hearts for people who don't know what it means to stand in your presence. To know there's no syndrome with you. That your son's blood has already paid the price so that we can stand before you. We don't have to break through a precipice. We don't have to break through some sort of plane or a veil. Instead, you've thrown your arms open wide for us. You call to us. Got to get the image of the prodigal son as they walk home. People ask so many times, do I have to walk forward? Can I stay right where I am and still have an altar in my heart? And God, I'm sure that's true. God, I pray that you help us to see that our steps in the physical help our steps in the spiritual. And God, as we sit here today, help our hearts to be moved. Help us to realize and come to our senses about the world that we live in and to understand that the renewing of our hearts, the renewing of our lives, becoming a living sacrifice is your desire for us. Yielded to who you are, but still fully alive. God, we love you. Thank you for altars. Thank you for clotting with us and not making us chase you, but you chase us. In these moments, help us to chase you. In Jesus' name, altar's open.